Welcome to episode 22 of the Civil War Breakfast Club. I am your co-host, Mary, also known as Olivia John Newton tonight, which is a little bit of a hint of what we're going to be talking about. And I am joined by the most awesome Civil War geek I know, Darren Weeks, also known as Muddy Diva Bitch tonight. Well, hello, Olivia John Newton. You know, that's a hey. <laughs> hey, that's a good one right there. Okay, you, get credit, you get credit for that one because I was going to be Carla Schurz. Well, you'd be Olivia John Newton. That means mud is the word, as they say. Ooh, your name will be the old, mud from the old from the old Grease show, huh? Ooh, that. That's what you should have done. Is my name is mud with two D's. I could have done that. It's too late now. Oh yeah. well, we'll move on from it. But hey, how are you? How's everything going? Episode twenty-two. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is a believable time. We are time four flies episodes. when you're getting sworn at. What are we, <laughs> getting sworn at? I've been swearing at you again. <laughs> never. No, you never <laughs> So we are what? Like, what did we say? We're like four episodes away from the six-month mark of doing this show. The math skills astound, Mary. Because mm-hmm. twenty-six weeks will be yeah. half a year, and so this is twenty-two. So four weeks from now, we'll be at the six-month anniversary of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast, which seems like just yesterday. Since we started this podcast, we've yep. talked about battles across the entire country. We've talked about different generals, different people. That's some fun along the way. keeps getting more and more and more interesting as we yep. keep talking about these things. And so it's pretty well, solid. Pretty well, solid. yeah, and now we've got a website, which is civilwarbreakfastclub.com. And we have the roundtable, which is coming up when this episode drops. It'll be just a few days away. It's going to be on Wednesday, January the 20th from 6 to 7 p.m. So if you want to sign up for that, if you haven't ever attended before, just send us an email, info at civilwarbreakfastclub.com. And we have our book club. So we've really grown in the last six months. We've grown very, very fast. Yes. You know, this is unbelievable how fast it goes. And you know what? Best part about this is we'll see what happens next. There's always exactly. something that comes along exactly. down the plank. So, yeah, exactly. So a whole bunch of good stuff. So we get some business to take care of tonight. But before we do, we have to talk about our libations, right? We do, yes. I was going to say, since we're going to the shortest of the earth first, we might as well go first. So. Fucker. <laughs> so I am drinking Surround Sound Lotus by Collective Arts, which if anybody listens to this, they know I drink a lot of Collective Arts, but they're my favorite Canadian brewery. And I am drinking it out of my John Reynolds mug because that is as close as I could get to anybody that is involved with what we're going to be talking about tonight from my little Civil War mm-hmm. mug collection. Very cool, very cool. And I am drinking from the Great Treehouse Brewery here in Massachusetts, the Fruit Project Guava, which is fantastic. And I'm drinking, drinking out of my Fort Sumter mug because... That's what I have. That's what I got. So nice. not much creative there, but that's what it was. I don't have much on that part of the battle over there, the Fredericksburg area. So we went with the old, the old standby for Sumter mugs. So last we talked, which was last week, we were talking about a whole bunch of different fun things. But now we're going in the East again. We're staying in the East and we're going to mm-hmm. talk specifically about our old friend Ambrose Burnside again, Mary. He's going to yep. find himself stuck in the mud. Yeah, we're picking it up where we left off after the Battle of Fredericksburg. And as we know, that was a Union mm-hmm. loss. And because of that, morale ends up being very low in the Army of the Potomac. And Abraham Lincoln said after this battle, and this is not just because of Fredericksburg, this is because of all the other shit that he's having to deal with in his life. He said, if there is a place worse than hell, I am in it. One author I was oh, He was reading. in Columbus, Ohio? Oh, I'm sorry. Mm, yeah. 
that's what the Ohioans are collectively thinking today. Talk to me then. I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> the author Jeffrey Wirt refers to this time as the darkest in all of Lincoln's presidency is this time. And it's not just Fredericksburg. It's everything else that's happening too. Well, we talked before offline about this part of the life of Lincoln where this late 62, early 63 was probably the darkest point of his life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, after that point, obviously, he was coming off of a lot of bad losses. Stones mm-hmm. River notwithstanding, you know, he had Fredericksburg in his back and rearview mirror. He had the Grant and Sherman fiasco in Vicksburg going on. Yeah. He had a lot of stuff going down. And then this whole thing was what we're going to talk about here is going to exacerbate the whole issue where he was. And, and it's going to continue into early 63 when he starts focusing on things like Chancellorsville, and that election continues to loom. When we talk about Fredericksburg, we left off basically where it was a complete disaster, most lopsided battle of the war, 13,000 casualties for, for the Union as opposed to 5,000 for the Rebs. Ambrose Burnside is the general in charge of the Army of the Potomac, and he was somewhat of an unwilling or unwitting guy. <laughs> very, very. Didn't want the job. Didn't want the job three times, as a matter of fact. Real quick, just to, again, throw a little bit of light on him from last time. This guy from Liberty, Indiana, that we talked about before. He's that guy, like we said before, Mary, he's the, the real-life Charlie Brown. In so many ways. He's just he a bad is. luck guy. He goes, you know, he meets the love of his life when he's younger, a woman named Lottie Moon. We talked about old Lottie, right? <laughs> she literally leaves him at the altar, literally says, no Surrey Bob, and runs out. She goes on to be engaged to 16 rebel soldiers at the same time. So they go with old Lottie. He, he invents a gun called the Burnside Carbine. He sells the patent right before the Civil War, makes no money on it. Mm-hmm. It was one of the more popular guns in the war. He goes to West Point, graduates class of 1847. He graduates 18th out of 47 in his class. He wants to fight, so he signs up to go to Mexico. He gets to Mexico right after the war ends, so he doesn't even get to do that. He ends up working at the Illinois Center Railroad with a guy named George McClellan. Yeah, so they become good so friends. Up, they become good friends. Old Mac and Burn, they called him. And so he is going to have a real tough time at Fredericksburg. He's going to have a real screwed up attack. Talk real quick about the military structure again. He has the three wings. We'll the talk about the divisions. cores here in a little while. The Grand Division. So they have the right Grand Division with Major Edwin Sumner, old bull. Center Division is by Joseph Hooker, we'll talk about a lot later. In the left Grand Division by William Franklin, he's going to have Franz Siegel as his reserve. And on the other side of the Rappahannock River, his old friend Robert E. Lee, you may have heard of him, Mary, Robert E. Lee. He has two corps. He has first corps by James Longstreet, second corps by Stonewall Jackson. When we last leave these guys, the Union's licking their wounds. They don't know what they're going to do. They're coming into that winter quarters time. But Burnside, he still has something to prove. We talk a lot about these guys wanting to prove things. He still wants to attack Lee for a couple reasons. He wants to seize the initiative because he doesn't think Lee's going to expect attack in late to mid-December, early January. But he also wants to raise the morale because as you can imagine, the soldiers sitting around the camp in Falmouth, Virginia aren't feeling so hot. The rail's tough. They're just having a real tough go of it. They just feel down on themselves. They hate Burnside. They just don't like the way things are going. The generals can't stand him. He can't stand the generals. And we'll talk more about that as this thing goes forward. He decides he wants to show a little bit of initiative. So he starts to send some scouts up and down the river to see if they can find a soft landing spot to cross. Just you know, see if maybe we can get over there and see what the deal is. He finds out that Lee basically, even though he's limited with soldiers, he's got about 25 miles of defenses up and down that river. So it's kind of tough to find some good, good uh, landing. So, you know, he basically decides, you know, I'm, we're going to attack. I, I just don't know where yet, but we're going to attack. Mm-hmm. So he pulls in a couple of people into his car confidence that we're going to talk about. He tells Henry Halleck, we're going to attack. He tells two other guys named John Cochran 
in John Newton, Newton. Olivia John yep. Newton. And he says, we're going to plan to attack. And this is what's going to happen. So the funny part about it was all Cochran and Newton say, it's funny you mentioned that, but we'll be right back. We have a furlough. We're going to go take off for a couple of days. So yep. we'll, um, we'll catch up with you later and we'll talk when we get back. And guess where they go, Mary? They go to D.C. And the reason they do that, there has been this movement to try and get rid of Burnside. And it is led by Franklin and by Baldy Smith. Those are the two main ones behind it. Hooker a little bit, but he's not, he's talking smack against Burnside, but that's Hooker. That's who he is. Hooker's a bit of a dick when it comes to stuff he like just, that. Yeah, he's, he's, he's yeah, that guy. But, but Franklin and Baldy Smith want Burnside gone. Besides this, there's also a bit of a movement to get General McClellan back in the army. General G.K. Warren said that we must have McClellan back with unlimited and unfettered powers. His name is a tower of strength to everybody here. They want him back. Like one soldier writes that, I honestly believe the removal of McClellan has made thousands of widows and tens of thousands of orphan children. So that's why there's this movement going on. Like it's not just Franklin and Baldy Smith that are thinking this, it's, it's mm -hmm. others as well. Newton and I'm not going to say the other guy's name because I will mess it up. <laughs> Cochran. Anyway, they go again, to embarrassing the children, Mary. <laughs> On December 30th, they go to see Abraham Lincoln. Like they show up at the White House and they tell Lincoln that the troops are too demoralized for a new campaign. And Lincoln figures out that they're there to bring Burnside down. Newton, he's known for being a schemer because I believe he was one that he went to try, he went to Washington to try and make things right for McClellan at a certain point in 1862. He's a bit of a schemer when it comes to this stuff. So after this meeting, Lincoln sends a telegram to Burnside and says, I have good reason for saying you must not make a general movement of the army without letting me know. So this kind of tips Burnside off that shit is happening that he doesn't know about. Yeah, Burnside's pissed. You know, Newton and Cochran, they get up there and basically say, Lincoln, listen, if this guy, Burnside, if, if, if he fights again, this army's going to get destroyed. He's mm -hmm. that bad. Burnside's sitting there at the end of the year, just out of the 30th of December. He gets that telegram, and Burnside is pissed. First of all, no one knew about my plan. Now it's Lincoln friggin' knows. So he's thinking, okay, Halleck, I told Halleck, he probably told it. He didn't think about Cochran and Newton. He's thinking, shit, I'm, I'm losing control of the army. He understands, he, he gets it, but he's dejected. And he's, he's pretty pissed off. So he, he, he's mad at the interference. He feels like he's been backstabbed. While this is going on, you got, in, in contrast, Stones River is happening at the same time. Yep. You've got Vicksburg going on. There's a lot of stuff going on. But Burnside is livid. He's going to go up to Washington, D.C., and he's going to go meet with Lincoln. So he's going to go up there on New Year's Day. He's like a teenage girl. He wants to know who snitched. Who the yep. hell told you what happened? Lincoln's, you know, I'm not going to tell you. Burnside's upset. He goes to Lincoln. He says, we got to fire Halleck. We got to fire Stanton, which yep. probably came out of left field. What? Okay. If you don't, I'm going to resign. Then later in that day, they all get together. That must have been a fun time with Burnside, with Lincoln, Halleck, and Stanton. And they're told in front of, he tells them in front of all of them, those two guys need to resign. Everyone knows it. They suck. Right? Yeah. Burn, Burnside so, basically says, guys, I, I wrote this in a letter to, uh, to Lincoln to you that I think you need to resign. Okay. By the way, can you please support my plan? Yeah. He goes, you guys need to go. But before you go, can you get sound off my plan? And they go, no. So Lincoln's like, no, they're all gave no way. So, so Burnside, he's pissed. He gets back on the 2nd of January and he's all deflated. He's, I mean, it may, I mean, obviously makes sense. Life is hilarious. And he gets back at January 2nd and the weather is beautiful. It's mm -hmm. springtime in January. He's sitting around mad going, I could be doing this campaign I want to do. Instead of sitting around this Lincoln and Halleck, they're not going to let me do it. 
the army is sitting in camp and they're just hanging out and the ribs are on the other side of the river. And, and then there's some stories, some camp stories that come out. There's that story with Lieutenant Colonel William Teal. This is on the 8th of January where he escorts a woman named Miss Lawton. She was a widow from Georgia. Her husband, Captain Edward Lawton, had died in Union control. So he decided to escort the body with her back to the rubble mm-hmm. line, this guy. So he brings her back. He has a full Zouave procession for him, like an honor guard type thing to bring his body back to the Confederate side. Who meets him at the Confederate side is Joseph Kershaw, Mary. That's mm-hmm. who he runs into. So he thanks him for, for everything he did. And, and this is what was going on. They're just hanging out and doing their thing. They're trading um, across the river as well. They're trading yeah. like coffee and tobacco and all that. I mean, yeah. Christmas is happening at this time as well. well what Burnside doesn't know is that the rebels also knew what Burnside's plan was. Mm-hmm. They knew that his plan was to attack south of the city. And so Lee had fortified down there. And he finds out that based on his scouts that the Rebs are defending where he was going to attack. So he's basically going to have to change his plan if, if he wants to do it. So he's sitting around thinking of some ideas when all of a sudden he gets a message from Lincoln out of the blue and says, unexpectedly says, tells Burnside, okay, why don't you plan an attack? He's like, what? Okay. The, what's going on is, is Washington's getting stories of troop movements going on in, in the Army of Northern Virginia. John Foster's up in North Carolina. He's mixing things up. Not to mention our old friend Braxton Bragg, Mary, is still down going on in Stones River, and yep. he's retreating out. The rumor is Lee is going to send thousands of soldiers to Carolina and to Tennessee, and it's going to thin that line. Mm-hmm. So the Lincoln administration gets wind. There might be an opportunity to attack. So he thinks Lee's weakened. Ironically, at this time, Lee is not even there. He's in Richmond. Lee goes back to talk to Davis. So it sounds like this might be an opportunity. Burnside, now he's obsessed. Now he's like, all right, I get, I get to attack. I've been sitting on my ass for a little while. Now I have to figure out a plan. So he's going to personally scout the rivers. He's going to go up and down the, up the river looking for a landing place. There's that story where the Burdan sharpshooters actually see him riding up, um, mm-hmm. up by Banks Ford. He's looking at maps. He's talking to himself. He's maybe saying, call me maybe to himself. No, we don't know. But he's basically learning the terrain. And so he's obviously planning something. So this is going to be the fifth attack at Fredericksburg, actually. He's going to attack north of Fredericksburg, in his mind, two places, in a place called U.S. Ford and Banks Ford. He's going to keep the army as one. He's not going to split up. He's going to stay one full army. He's not going to divide them. He's still going to basically maintain that he is going to still feint an attack at a place called Muddy Creek, which is where the Rebs thought he was going to initially attack from the beginning. So he's going to do a slight diversion down south which is right near Fredericksburg. He's going to move most of his army north to cross one of these two fords. Admittedly, he says he didn't like the plan himself. He liked the old one, but this is the best I can do. We're going to have Franklin. We're going to have Hooker be the spearheads. Sumner will be in reserve. He'll follow up. He wanted it to be a surprise. He doesn't know Lee's not there, but he knows the army, or he thinks the army is thin. He thinks there's an opportunity to hit them while there's less guys. He wants to turn the Rebs out of their defenses and wants to hit them. That's basically what his initial plan is going to be. He's going to have Baldy Smith, ironically, is going to be the guy who reconnoiters that whole route. Yep. He also shockingly doesn't like the plan. Burnside's hell bent on proceeding. He's yep. like, he's personally scouting. He wants to do it. Everyone knows he wants to fight. He wants to go. So he's going to request permission from Lincoln to move. He tells Lincoln, admittedly, nearly all the officers oppose the plan, <laughs> but he would assume full responsibility. He's basically saying, listen, everyone hates the idea except me. If it fucks up, I will take right. the heat, but this is what I want to do. Can I just please do it? 
just like he assumed responsibility when the Joint Committee for the Conduct of War came down after Fredericksburg, like he took the responsibility for Fredericksburg. Yeah. But again, it's funny you mentioned Baldy Smith not liking the plan. Well, that was because Baldy Smith and Franklin had submitted their own plan to Lincoln at one point yes. on December the 20th. They write this letter to Lincoln and sign it because they're against anything Burnside's doing. They propose to move the army return to the peninsula and have a campaign on the James River. So 150,000 men would advance on the north bank and then the rest would advance on the south bank, carrying three days rations and 100 rounds. And Lincoln doesn't agree with this plan because it could leave Washington exposed. So he nixes their plan. So that's one reason why Baldy Smith does not like this plan of Burnside's that he's, he's about to execute. Yeah. Burnside, basically, he's thrown on the gauntlet. I mean, he's getting pissed at Lincoln. He's getting fed up with all of them. He's basically saying, listen, can we just do it? Lincoln and Halleck, admittedly, they're kind of like, okay, you know, we brought this guy in because he, we said he was aggressive, right? Now he wants to be aggressive. What are we going to do? But Lincoln and Halleck want to keep – remember everything we, we said was going on, Mary. Fredericksburg had just happened. Mm-hmm. All the shit that was going on with Grant and Sherman, that whole the special number 11 thing was all hitting the news. So there's a lot of negative press for Lincoln. He could not afford another shit show. So if the shit show has to happen, they're going to distance themselves from it. So Lincoln and Halleck are going to basically say, all right, listen, you want to do this, whatever. They're going to separate themselves as far as they possibly can from this plan. Burnside basically is going to say, okay, fine, I'm going to do it. And if, yeah. I don't, if it doesn't work, I'm going to resign, but I'm frigging doing it. So yeah. he's going to frigging do it. And the one thing that happens too in this time is that after – Burnside had, has had this meeting with this probably very awkward meeting with Lincoln, Stanton, and Halleck is like Lincoln is kind of pressing Halleck, you need to go check things out. Like you need to do your job. And Halleck is like, nope, I'm not. Basically tells Lincoln I'm not doing it. And that's when Lincoln yeah. just refer, starts referring to him. He goes to John Hay and says he's nothing more than a clerk. <laughs> That's all, he, that's all he fucking is. Yeah. He's nothing more than a clerk. But I don't know, like, th- this is just like another example of obviously Halleck and Burnside don't like each other. So they're making it totally personal. Halleck knows that Burnside was basically like, you need to make this guy resign. Burnside wants to attack, but he knows he's not supported. It must be a tough feeling for him. He must feel all by himself on an island. So he says, you know what? Where he tells his grand division commanders, we're going to move on the 17th of January. Sumner's going to demonstrate on Fredericksburg. He's going to try to keep them pinned there. Franklin's going to to a place called U.S. Ford, as I said. Hooker's going to go to Banks Ford. And, and Siegel's basically going to cover the gaps is what he's going to basically do. Right before they start, though, they get wind that the Rebs have kind of stiffed them out a little bit. and They're, they're defending the North now. So he takes, let's take a break. Some of the soldiers are like, Whew, we're not going. Thank God, because fuck it, this has bad, bad idea. But Burnside decides, well, I need to find out for sure, though, What's going to, what, what these rebels are actually doing. Because he's getting reports. He sends a scout, a spy by the name of Ebenezer McGee to go across the river to, re- to scout the rebel movements. So he sneaks over and he gets to report back. He says, yeah, here's the deal. The rebs are moving north, but they're all going to U.S. Ford, which is north. So not Banks Ford. Banks Ford is going to be wide open, which is right in between Fredericksburg and U.S. Ford. So that's, that's a good place. So Burnside, Gives the spy Mary fifteen hundred dollars as a thank you. It may have been AP Hills money. We don't know. I was just going to say that was that could have been AP Hills money, right? right? There. <laughs> but fifteen hundred bucks he gave this guy oh or Ebenezer McGee, right? So, but he got really good intel though. Fast forward to the twentieth of January, the, the faded day, and now he knows what's up. He knows there's an opportunity, so that he changes his plan. They're going to move all all their guys, well Franklin and Hooker. They're going to move them to Banks Ford. Okay, they're going to attack there. William F. Smith, 
He was a commander of the Sixth Corps at the time. He orders his own council of war, and he tells his guys, listen, all this shit with Burnside, we got to put it aside, and we got to give this guy our full support. We got to. Let's just freaking do it, okay? We hate him, but we have to do it. And they all say, okay, fine. They all begrudgingly agree that they're going to support this on the Sixth Corps, and they're going to do it. Noon time flashes, Sumner begins that demonstration I mentioned, and Franklin starts to move out. He's in, he's in charge of that left grand division, as we said, and Hooker's going to follow. He's in that center guy. Still, the weather, Mary, is unreasonably warm and dry. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because some of the soldiers in their diaries even commented on the weather. Some of the soldiers were, ha- were, were very happy to finally be moving. The guy from New Hampshire says, no one was sorry to, not to move. Almost anything is preferable than this vile camp. So they're finally going... The marching seemed to ease the tension a little bit. The roads were good. The weather was great. Soldier in the 11th Corps, he said the roads, he says, were never in better condition. So it's kind of ironic and funny how all these guys are talking about the weather. Now, granted, it's January and it's probably 50 degrees and sunny. They're living the life. Of course, they're all going to comment on it. The first day's movements are, are flawless. The soldiers bivouac the night of the 21st. They're in good spirits. They're about two days ahead of Lee with good weather. Yeah, that's how they figure. So they, they figure there's a real opportunity. 7 p.m. they're in camp. Guess what happens, Mary? It there starts was, to rain. There was a winter storm that started going through. And one of the soldiers writes, it was a terrible night. It rained incessantly all night. And the mud, I think, without a doubt, was over two feet in places. And things just mm-hmm. get worse from there for them, too. Like, as they're moving along, the rebels have these signs along the road that say Burnside stuck in the mud. They have all these horses and mules that are having to haul stuff for them and they're getting mm-hmm. stuck as well. And then you have all these dead horses and mules just strewn along the road. It well, is it, it's, like it's, it's an absolute it's shit brutal. show. It's, it's interesting. It's because it, w- it had been warm for a while. Yeah. All the frozen grounds had defrosted. So it was getting wet from the bottom and the top. So it was soaking everything. The, as the night went on, the rain got stronger. It got night. It was more and more violent. The tents were blowing away. The shoulders were blowing away. The soldiers who were happy and moving, now they're wet and they're miserable. And there's a guy from Pennsylvania said it rained like the world was coming to an end. So I can imagine one of those hard storms, those hard rains. It continues all night long into the morning uh, on the 21st. And now to your point, the roads are a sea of mud. It's just everywhere. I mean, the warm weather basically, like we said, screwed all the roads up. The wagons were sinking soldiers and animals look at their knees and mud just a whole shitty situation so even though the ford was running high now because of the rain burnside still is still we're, we're, we're go mode we're, we're still gonna go there were soldiers talking about you know hyperbole that their blankets weighed 40 pounds it was so yep. wet but everything was awful they tried to use those planks mary to like corduroy the roads and they put them on the roads and they sank. Yeah. Lost them too. There was um, one soldier that apparently he joked around in his diary and he said, We need soldiers that are 24 feet high that can work in 18 feet of mud or something yeah. like that. I mean, there was some cannon that needed 28 horses to move one gun. Yeah. I mean, the animals made the ground worse because they were digging and slipping and sliding. A ton of them died of exhaustion. They drowned. Mm-hmm. There was a New Jersey private who said that he had counted 52 dead horses in a one mile area, including 10 within a 20 yard stretch. Horrible situation. There was a reporter named Swinton from the New York Post or New mm-hmm. York Times. I think it was. He basically talked about how they would founder through the mire for a few feet. The, the, the goings of Lilliputians with huge ribs Gulliver and, and then give up breathless. What the hell that means? But basically, he was. They were talking about every one of these guys were talking specifically about the stuff they were getting to. They were getting to the point where you needed, you know, 150 men now to move one wagon. 
I mean, it's like, it's like pushing a car on the snow that just buried, right? Yeah. These poor soldiers are exhausted, but they're still marching. They're on their way to Banks Ford. They pass up a ravine in the soldiers named the Profanity Gulch. So you must have been there your old previous <laughs> life, okay? It old profanity, because that's, and they named it that because they, they basically- Did it have a place called Fucker Road? I think that's exactly what it was. But so by the end of the 21st of January, they actually got about 15 pontoons down by the river. But you know how many you need to afford it? You need 20. They were five short. They couldn't do it. Okay. 15 pontoons they had there. They needed 20. Someone said, can we get five more? And some soldiers said, these pontoons can move no more than moving a pyramid. And they're like, I ain't going to freaking go. So Burnside, he ends up telegraphing Halleck and Stanton and says, yeah, um, that 22nd crossing ain't going to happen. You know, we ain't going to make it. The army's now strung out all the way back to Falmouth. There was a Union soldier who was quoted. He's saying it's, it was cold. It was impossible to make a fire as it rained so hard. We had no fuel. So just picture these poor guys, right? It, just miserable. It must have been horrible. Like I found a quote from a soldier when they were like, once Burnside canceled the movement, and they start moving back to camp. Seventh Wisconsin soldier said, the return was a living hell, but I pacified myself that I would keep my vow with the government and Father Abraham and do the right thing to the bitter end. It was tough medicines though. So like these guys, like they've come this far and now they're having to go all the way back because keep in mind, like the weather might have improved, but the roads are still shit and they're muddy. That, that stuff takes forever to dry out. You know? was, there were soldiers complaining about the swearing. I mean, imagine these guys is bitching. There was one, one soldier, he said, their whole catalog of oaths with many new combinations invented for this occasion. <laughs> Basically, people say- That's where my ancestors were. Exactly. That, that's, <laughs> that's where I get now. it from. My ancestors exactly. were on the mud march. You know, 22nd of January. So it's, again, this is the day late now. The 11th Corps, looks across the river, what do they start to see? They start to see rebel campfires starting. And now they're like, oh shit. And so these are guys from Pickett's troops who are starting to get there. Now they're just like, you've got to be shitting me now. Burnside wanted to move while Lee was in Richmond, as I mentioned before. What happened, Richmond, Lee had gone down to meet with, to meet with Davis. And so he started to hurry back when he heard Burnside was moving. He has two corps commanders, Mary. He has James Longstreet and Stonewall Jackson. Who do you think Lee puts in charge of the battlefield while he's in Richmond? Probably Jackson. He puts Longstreet in charge. Whoa. And you know what Stonewall Jackson does? He gets pissed. You know what he tells Lee? He says, I am not satisfied. That's the quote he says. Ooh, so and see, that's like, why that's why he's, right? that's why Claiborne's better than him because Claiborne never would have <laughs> said shit like that. <laughs> but but Jack, but you know what? Longstreet had rank on Jackson though, and so Lee that's put true. Longstreet in charge, and he was pissed off. And so what happened was Jackson he wanted to move his army south to the original spot, and Longstreet says, "Not so fast, my friend." He says no to Stonewall Jackson. So Jackson ends up protesting to Lee. And so Lee comes back and says, why I can't leave you two alone for one freaking day. <laughs> and so he says, so they settled the dispute. And they basically what happens is they agree to move the troops north. They start to settle around Banks Ford. These are those campfires that the 11th guys saw. This is Pickett's vanguard getting there to light the campfires. That's who they start to see. The rain does slow the Rebs too. It isn't just raining on the north. It's raining on the Confederates too. They talked about miserable, miserable roads. So Pickett's batteries get there and the Rebs get there. They start building some breastworks. Pickett starts firing shells into the woods and into the Rappahannock at the Union soldiers. Now these Yankees are pissed. They're like, this is when the taunting starts, Mary. 
before, right? You kind of hinted at it before, right? Yeah. The, the Rebs are yelling, you know, hey, hey, come on, we'll help you over. Come on over. And, you know, they're pointing, Richmond's that way. Come on, we'll help you. Come on, come on, come on. And so the, the Northerners are probably New Yorkers giving them the finger. Probably, <laughs> Any know. Canadians would be, sorry. We're yeah, you're here. sorry. Oh, sorry. We're stay here. Sorry. You know. And so, and so all the mask guys and New York guys had double gunned them. You know what those, those creative squares we're talking about. So now it's the whole thing's going to shit now. The army's stuck in the mud. The Rebs are showing up. Hooker now, he's now he starts chirping, right? Oh, but this is where so, he calls him, he calls Burnside incompetent and an imbecile. He, he talks Marcina, Marcina Patrick, we mentioned before. He says, I'll take over. Just say the word. This was a reckless venture. And Patrick responds to him, General, I, I, I assume you're drunk. That's what he told him. <laughs> so, so it was pretty funny. But all the other generals are all complaining too, right? They've all lost faith in Burnside they, at this point. They have, right? yeah. Like Meade has, Meade, what, Meade, I don't think he agrees with Burnside, but he feels sorry for them. Like he writes his wife and says, I have never felt so disappointed and sorry for anyone in my life as I did Burnside. He really seems to have the elements against him. And that reminded me of, you know, you keep referring to Burnside as a Charlie Brown. That's completely it right there. But then Reynolds, he says of Burnside, if we do not get someone soon who can command an army without consulting Stanton and Halleck at Washington, I do not know what, what, we, what will become of this army. And that's very telling of Reynolds right there, that he at this point, you know, January of 1863, he has this thing where he's like, I don't want Stanton and Halleck involved. Flash forward to June of 1863, when he has asked to take command of the Army of the Potomac. Mm -hmm. and this is his exact reason right here yeah. he sees the meddling that has gone on and he sees the administration as fucking things up in this as well he's not yeah. necessarily blaming burnside but he's saying burnside's got to go off to washington and talk to stanton and halleck before he does anything why can't we just have a general that just does their own shit that's all he wants and that'll repeat itself the rest of the yeah, rest of this exactly. war. But not only is he Burnside losing support of his generals, he's losing support of his soldiers. So the soldiers are chanting to hell with Burnside, to hell with Burnside. I mean, they, they're saying this right in front of these, these officers. One reason they were upset was the supplies were an issue now because Burnside put all the food in the back wagons. So now that they can't get the food, and Abner Small, I've mentioned many times from the great mm -hmm. 16th Maine Mary, he has a quote in his diary. He says, I never knew what it was like to suffer with such hunger. That was a quote he had. Fifth Corps guys are miserable. They've lost 3,000 horses. But you know what happens? The soldiers, they can't get the food. But you know what they find in one of the wagons, Mary? They find whiskey. The 134th Pennsylvania starts looting the whiskey wagons. They're like, this is a shit show. Let's all get, we're all getting hammered. They're taking the whiskey. They're all getting drunk. They end up having drunken brawls with other regiments in their own army, pulling pistols out. They're pulling swords, hitting each other with clubs. It's like you with the mind, <laughs> you know? Well, so, when I walk in and yell, first core broke first. <laughs> exactly. But picture <laughs> that, that's what's going on here. And so this plan at this point is a complete shit show. The whole, now the army's fighting with each other. It's a complete mess. And you know what, though? Remember how we talked before about how Sumner wanted to cross at Fredericksburg the day yep. before, and they didn't because he was afraid of getting stuck? Yep. This is funny if you think about this, Mary. And this is not a what if, okay? But this is just a reality. If it didn't rain, if they left three days before, they would have got stuck over there with the rain. They would have made it across and got stuck. Yep. So it's funny how life is. I was just thinking about this today. It's like, what mm -hmm. if the rain didn't come for a couple of days and they got across the river and then if they got bogged down, they'd be screwed. Or exactly. if they got split in half. So 
I guess we'll get that way. So, yeah. so the 23rd of uh, January happens and they're going to retreat back to Falmouth. They say, we, this is over. So when they go back, some of the guys didn't make it back in the 26th. You know what happens on the 23rd when they get back? The weather turns beautiful again. I know. It's such <laughs> so a, like... It's like, he's like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. So the weather is nice. And in and, and Birdside, you picture him, right? He's all pissed. So he's sitting there back at camp and he's all fired up. And he's, because he knows he's screwed. Oh, because he's he put done. His, so he, he grabs his pen, grabs a piece of paper and says, you know what? If I'm going down, you're all going down. He writes out special order number eight. Okay. Which sounds ominous, but it is. And he is going to bring up charges against all these officers. Franklin, Hooker, Newton, Cochran, the Rosewoods clown. Everybody's going down, right? Everyone's Howard. going down. Howard, they're all going down, right? <laughs> no, um, I don't think Howard was in those orders. No, but I don't think I'm so. Sh- but shockingly not. <laughs> he's just pissed off. You know, Hooker continues. He has, I mentioned that quote you said about being unfit. And basically what's going to happen is he's going to end up, you know, he, he knows he's got to go see the principal. Eight o'clock that night, he has to go to Washington, which must have sucked. So he gets there and he sits down with Lincoln, who you got to know has got to be pissed off, right? And he says, here's special order number eight. Yep. <laughs> he puts it on his t- So he goes, here's the deal. These guys all going to go. I'm going to resign too. What I want to do is I want to quit. I'm done with this shit, but these guys got to go too. And Lincoln says, well, here's what I'll do. I'm going to let you resign but I'm not going to let you leave the army. So I'm going to give you 30 days off to go clear your head. And he's like, okay, fine. So he goes, he replaces him with our old friend Hooker to satisfy the radical Republicans we talked about. Burnside's going to exit stage left and he's going to head off for 30 days. And now this army is going to be left with Joe. Joe Hooker, who many hated. General Erasmus Keyes was quoted as saying about Hooker being promoted. It was madness. He's no more capable than Burnside. Here we go again. Characters change. So Hooker is in. Burnside is out. And this complete fiasco that is 62, early 63 continues for Lincoln. When Lincoln brings Hooker in, he knows that, like, Lincoln's been at a reception at the White House before Burnside comes to see him. And at that reception, Lincoln learns that Hooker has said nothing would go right until we had a dictator and the sooner the better. And when Lincoln learned of that, he responded, that is all true. Hooker does talk badly, but the trouble is he is stronger with the country than the other men. And Lincoln also went on to say in that quote that even if this got out about him, nobody would believe it anyway. So Hooker does in some circles have a very, very good reputation. But Lincoln does write Hooker a letter. I bet you this is a letter that's going to be a little bit different than the one I've read, Mary. It is. So Lincoln writes a letter to General Hooker. Mm. I bet it's going to sound a little more modern than the one that he originally wrote, Mary. It might, yes. So (laughs) this is it. General, you're commanding the army now. I did this because you've had some badass performances in the past. But dude, like the movie, I know what you did last summer and fall and most recently in the past few weeks. So because of that, I'm a little disappointed in you. You have talent. You're confident in yourself. You've got ambition, which can be a strong suit. But dude, you took it too far with Burnside. Way too fucking far. You went against him which was sort of against the country, but more than that, dude, you went against a fellow officer. Not cool. Back to this I know what you did last summer stuff. Just to let you know, ye old gossip mill is alive and well in the D.C. area, and I heard about the dictator comments. You know, about the army and the government need a dictator? I heard about that shit. Newsflash? Only generals that get victories can do the dictator thing. Last time I checked, that ain't happening much in the AOP lately. 
But that's why I asked you to do this job. Not because I want you to be a dictator, but because we need a victory. So I'm just asking that you do one thing, Joe, and that is get me a fucking victory. That's it. I will risk a fucking dictatorship if it means we can have a victory. I'll deal with it after. We here will support you to the best of our abilities, which is what, despite what ye old gossip mill says yet again, we have always done. Another thing. Karma can be a bitch. And let's hope what you said about Ambrose doesn't come back to bite you in the ass. Neither you nor the French dude who you guys like to pose like in your photos could get any good out of the army where that kind of shit is happening. So knowing that, keep yourself in check with the energy that you have. And please, in the name of the, all that is holy, go get us a fucking victory, Joe. To quote old Smokey from the Friday movie. Damn! <laughs> wow. Okay, well, I don't know how you can re- respond to that one, but <laughs> Joe Hooker, yeah, he had, a, he had his role cut out for him, but Joe was going to be nice to Joe Mary. He's a Massachusetts guy from Hadley, West Point, class of 1837, middle of the rotor. Um, he is a guy the women in Mexico called Captain Handsome, so you know that he was he had it going on. So um, he's going to get to Fredericksburg, and he's you know he's going to get that position, and he's going to you know he's going to continue to do what he does. Ultimately, when he when he finally goes and rips these guys up, he 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 knows that he there's a lot that needs to be done in the army. So he finally gets his chance to do it, and what he's going to ultimately do is he's going to basically you know he's going to basically reorganize a lot. He's going to take the time to really update a lot of things that he did. So. I guess we could talk a little bit, little bit about some of the stuff he actually did in this new position, right? Because I think it's important to talk about this before we continue to do it. So we mentioned before, he had a real issue with morale at this point. I mean, obviously yeah. he did. Everyone hated Burnside. The, the army was falling apart. You know, their pets' heads are falling off. Everything was going bad for them. You know? <laughs> the morale was horrible. There was one guy that wrote when Burnside was still in charge that I feel like a man on a ship with a crazy pilot and rocks ahead. Sounds like fun. Sounds like a, sounds like a day in the SS Goderich, you know. <laughs> basically, you know, so morale. He's gonna he's gonna do some basic things. He's gonna fix the camp's sanitary standards right off the bat. He's gonna take care of that. The two ply toilet paper, I assume, he's gonna get. You know, yep. and that's thanks to Doctor Jonathan Letterman. Yep, there you is go. a very um, very talent. He's he's a very good good surgeon, and he so he makes it so that the camp sites have to be moved more, as well as where the latrines are at the camps. They get those um, moving around more as well. And there's also hospital improvements done as well under uh, Dr. Letterman. Yeah, Letterman, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about in a future podcast specifically what he did at Gettysburg and things like that. He also improved the furlough system. These guys mm-hmm. get some time off. You know, on the, on the military side of it, though, he did a lot of things that was smart. And you can tell these are things that were in his head before. He established the BMI, the Bureau of Military yep. Information, which is, impor- is an important thing, which was the intelligence gathering uh, entity. Basically, there was a network, a lot of um, slaves, other people living in the South, getting information on how to get some intel on, on, on their enemy. He did He did take advantage of the um, the Carney patches, Mary. We talked about this, your half moon, yeah. right? Yeah. From, from via Dan Butterfield, his chief of staff. He So he established core badges. So when you see all those first course of circle, the second, you know, the second course of trefoil, all the way down, that was from this initiative from Joe Hooker, Yep. Through Butterfield, through Carney. So yeah, you know, it they, was they, they all by Carney. Carney definitely needs to get credit for this because 
by the time they brought them into the army, the Potomac, Carney's former division had been wearing them, their red patch for months. So now all corps, and they're going to take the three divisions. They're going to go by color. So the first division is red, second is white, third is blue. They're all going to have their own little patches. So it's just really, really cool. So he's going to instill a pride. He's going to drill them. And you know what else he's going to do? He's going to have, he has confidence that Joe Hooker has. Typical mass hole. You know, always he's going yep. to fight. Well, that's what Lincoln said in his letter right? to him, that he recognizes yeah. his confidence. And Lincoln says, this is a great trait to have. Yeah. You know, he says that, you know, he's training. He, he quotes, he says, I have the finest army on the planet. God have mercy on General Lee, for I will have none. So he's, he's speaking, he's talking the talk. Whether he walks the walk, we'll find out in Chancellorsville, Mary. You don't want to yeah. spoil the ending. But, <laughs> but he, so he's going to basically do a lot of organizational changes too. First thing he's going to do, he's going to tell Franklin Sumner to hit the freaking bricks. He's going to finally get rid of them. He hates them. He's going to fire them. So they're yeah. going to get rid of them. He's going to basically take Burnside's old Ninth Corps because they still have the Burnside stink to it. He's going to send them off to the Virginia Peninsula with old Bali Smith. Let him go play with him for a while. So they're yeah. going to send those guys out with them. Ironically, you know, Dan Butterfield was his chief of staff. We just mentioned him. Yeah. He actually wanted old friend Charles Stone. He did. From Ball's Bluff, who got arrested. And yeah. it was weird that he did that. And a lot of people thought that was strange. He didn't have a job since his arrest after the Ball's Bluff thing. They don't know what the, what the story was with that. But they eventually said no. You can have Butterfield. So he gets Butterfield. Some of the old demons that old old Joe Hooker had, the beer in the bank barn, Mary, are going to come back and haunt them again because he drank heavily. He still did. Yeah. He was a little party boy. You know, there was um, Charles F. Adams, who was a cavalry officer, said his camp was a barroom and a brothel in, in Falmouth. So he, he was still he was still living the life. He's close with Sickles and he's close with these other political generals. And that little cabal is starting to form. He does do things like he does arrange the, the artillery, which is a big, big deal. Yep. He does the opposite of what the Confederacy does. So instead of taking all the artillery and putting them into one group, he's going to split them up into their corps. So each corps is going to have this artillery. He's going to have an artillery separate reserve as well. But the other thing he's going to do, Mary, is he's going to get rid of this grand division bullshit. Oh, he does. Right? Yep. He, he's, yep. he's, he's going to, so we mentioned before the patches, he's going to give them, he's going to divide them into cores. He's going to put generals in charge of the corps. So these names sound familiar, but you have the first core, you have John Reynolds, second core, Darius Couch, who's going to end up going off yep. to be the defensive coach of Pennsylvania. I have a funny coach. story about that. About, of what? When, of about the second core it's not it's not to do with couch but so when gibbon recovered from his wounds he took over the second division which had been howard's and we'll get to howard soon why howard's not there so gibbon wrote his wife i fear we shall not be able to keep up with the reputation for sanctity and sobriety which the place held under howard well, there you go that's a, I mean, how you got howard involved in this one. but but these cores you're going to start to see you know, obviously, our speaking of Dan Sickles, he's going to take the third corps at this point. Uh, George Sykes, who we'll see later on, take the fifth corps. Sedgwick with the sixth corps. Uh, we just mentioned Baldy Smith will take that ninth corps out on the peninsula. Franz Siegel will take the eleventh. This is before pre. This is P O O pre O O Howard mm-hmm. Mary. So this is before. I want to get you all fired up here. But Siegel did command the eleventh corps first. Slocum, if you got him, was in the charge of the twelfth corps, and then he had George Stoneman actually take care of the cavalry. Where's so Meade ba- though in this? Isn't Meade in charge of the fifth corps? I think he was a division commander in the fifth corps at the time because six was sykes was the one he put in charge okay because i read mead but no who knows <laughs> i don't know it was one of the book i read had sykes so who knows okay. but mead would have eventually 
No, it would have been Mead. I don't know why it yep. said Sykes. The book was wrong because Mead would have been the fifth yeah, course. Yeah, Mead, Sykes Mead, would have been division. Mead is and the Sykes fifth would have court. taken over me. This, that, that, wow, you, we discovered an error in a book I was reading, Mary. So good for you. And, and so, Howard actually takes over pretty quickly. He, he comes into play in February for the 11th Corps because Franz Siegel feels that the 11th Corps, it, it's one of the smaller corps, I think, in the Army of the Potomac. Mm-hmm. And he feels that because of who he is, Siegel thinks pretty highly of himself, that he should have more. And he knows he's not going to get more, so he steps down. But what happens is because Dan Sickles has been given the third corps, Howard actually got his commission before Dan Sickles did. And Dan Sickles is also a political general. Howard's been to West Point, you know, so he's a little bit more deserving of something like that. So he writes Hooker and says, can I have something? You've given Dan something. So Siegel happens to have vacated the 11th Corps and it's given to Howard. He's taking command of a German Corps. They're very free thinking Mm -hmm. people compared to who Howard is. And he's very misplaced there, admittedly. And I mean, Sears calls the 11th Corps like kind of the hated stepchild (laughs) of the Army of the Potomac, which is pretty Mm -hmm. cruel, I think. But because like Howard is Christian, the 11th Corps, they quickly start calling him Old Prayer Book. And Howard says that when he took it over, he said, outwardly, I met a cordial reception, but I soon found that my past record was not known here, that there was much complaint in the German language at the removal of Siegel, who merely wanted to have his command properly increased, and that I was not at first getting the earnest and loyal support of the entire command. He knows he's very misplaced here. And yeah, we'll see how that goes for him. Yeah, but but you know what though, what what Hooker did, and you know Hooker, you know he he has moments, and God knows he does. But you know what though, what he does, he ultimately builds an initial foundation here that's mm-hmm. going to increase morale. It's going to give his troops confidence. And you mentioned yeah. before they wanted McClellan back, but they don't get McClellan, but they get Hooker, who has got a lot of similar traits to McClellan in a lot of ways. So he's going to basically rebuild this entire thing. He's going to instill pride. He's going to get, increase that morale, and he's going to train them. He's going to drill them. So he's going to take the rest of that early winter into early spring in that Falmouth, Virginia, Fredericksburg area. It's going to culminate in Chancellorsville. We're going to, we'll do a whole thing on Chancellorsville. We'll see how that goes, Mary. We'll see how <laughs> if old Joe maintains you know, faith in old Joe. I don't know if he's going to. We'll find out. But I think what he's going to do is ultimately he's going to, he's going to build this army, which eventually is going to be taken over by Meade which is going to take that army to Gettysburg. So you had a lot of these same names you'll see as these core guys are the ones that the Gettysburg folks are going to recognize these names. So yeah. it's going to really, what he does, he takes an army very similar to after second Manassas with John Pope. He takes a, ma- a mess. Liz McClellan takes that, fixes it and wins a battle. Hooker is going to take this army, basically lay the foundation for an army that's going to ultimately win and finally yeah. beat Lee. And so Hooker does this with a lot of credit He's his own worst enemy because he can't keep his mouth shut. He's no. every guy at the bar who would drink too much. <laughs> He's the loud guy. Up, right? <laughs> the loud guy at the bar. But yeah, the army, the army that wins at Gettysburg is the army of Joseph Hooker. That's how I've always seen it. The other things that he, he changes too. So he, he finally p- makes sure these guys are paid. They haven't been paid in four months. And finally, mm-hmm. at the end of February, they're paid. The other thing he does too is there's been mass desertions, you know, when Burnside's been in, especially after Fredericksburg. And what they did is they allowed amnesty um, for deserters returning by April 1st. So on March 31st, those that there was 1,941 listed as absent from the Army of the Potomac, which is considerably lower than what it was. He also improves the cavalry too. 
he really what he does like he, he does this, so much for them like he takes that shitty volvo that's falling apart yeah that they still insist on driving and he puts it in the garage he gives it new wheels build rebuilds the engine fixes the transmission you know puts the little air freshener in the little window <laughs> and he gets the car going and he gets it confidence again so what he does he basically takes a shell and rebuilds it yeah and he builds it in his own type of mentality he i mean he has the wrong guys with him he's got he's got his own worst enemy he's got sickles he's got butterfield he's got a lot of these guys but what he's going to do is he doesn't deserve enough credit he he's one of those guys he's like your guy howard right mm -hmm. where he's known for chancellorsville yep but again he's somebody who you you have to give credit to later in the war from Gettysburg on because what he did was he's the one who really strengthened them to help them win. Meade's army at Gettysburg was Hooker's army. Exactly it with. was that's what I've always right. believed it's Hooker's army. You know the other thing he does too and this is so important and it's something that often gets left, left behind he improves the food for these men. So these are men that you know December 25th 1862 the officers are at their headquarters they're eating turkey roast beef you know they're drinking whiskey and whatever else the troops are eating hardtack and salt pork. And Hooker, when he takes over, hardtack, salt pork, and coffee are not a good diet. This is why one of the reasons illness is so rampant among the ranks of the AOP. That and just the horrible sanitation con um, conditions, which Dr. Letterman makes sure are improved. But by also improving their diet, Hooker orders that there be soft bread at least four times a week for the troops. Bakeries are built at the camps so that this can happen. They get fresh potatoes and onions twice a week, potatoes or mixed vegetables once a week. So he's improving their eating habits. And because of that, the disease starts to go down among these soldiers. They don't have the illnesses they have. And scurvy, which was really, really high in December and January, once they start getting the vegetables into them, it disappears. And the company cooks are assigned and they're inspected and within weeks of this happening illnesses are reduced and one soldier said that hooker is a good man to feed an army for we have lived the best since he took command than we ever did since we have been in the army so this is a soldier saying that since he's been in the army of the potomac it is the best it's ever been you know and this could have been a guy that was under mcclellan all of a sudden like you're living off hard tack and salt pork and what they did with the hard tack is they fried it in bacon like the fat from the pork and they referred to it as that son, of, that son of a yeah. bitch as well. Yeah. They also called it that <laughs> son of a bitch. That's what they were living off of. And all of a sudden they're getting vegetables a few times a week and potatoes and onions and, and soft bread. Ho-hos. Yeah, ho-hos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like this is a huge thing for them too. Like, so this is all going to improve the morale because like the one thing that, like I would like our listeners to take away is that the morale that the AOP was under after Fredericksburg was they were literally to the breaking point. Like they were to the point where the soldiers did not want to fight anymore. Some of them were writing home and saying, we don't want to fight. This is, it's so bad. And Hooker was able to take them from that point and raise them up enough. I mean, flash forward to Chancellorsville. We'll see that that morale actually stays a little bit. It does stay high. And it is, does because you know the he, army that wins Gettysburg. He his, we'll talk about Chancellorsville more, but he you know he's audacious to a point. He has a similar plan as, as Burnside. He's going to go around the left of the of the Confederate army. He's going to attack, yeah. and Lee is going to do his thing. Well, you know all that stuff. But but I think what's going to do it's going to help set them up. They know at Chancellorsville they can swing with Lee. 
they know they can. Yeah. Right. It, it just for, for happenstance things, we'll talk more in details of stuff that happens to him, some things with, 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 with sickles and, and things like that. But we'll talk about how that helps build, but it's going to give these guys confidence. So a few months after that, when they march into Pennsylvania, they know they can beat Lee. They know they can. Exactly. And this is because of the confidence a guy like Hooker instilled. And exactly. it, there's no way in the world that Burnside maintains charge if he gets into Pennsylvania, that that battle works out any differently. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's not going to work for you. Yeah. So I, think I do. The, oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think the takeaway is Hooker is somebody who gets a bad reputation because of his own doing, but he's someone who did a lot in that early January, February, March, April of 1863 in Falmouth, Virginia, because he did what similar to what McClellan did. Mm-hmm. He trained, he made instant confidence in and more importantly, he reorganized that whole army into a real fighting force, that a fighting force that they knew they could win now. Exactly. And, that's it. and it just didn't work out for him, we'll find out. But it will work out for Meade and it will lead down the road. But that's a conversation for another day. We'll exactly. talk more about that. But I think it's I a do, good dropping off point. I, I do have a really good quote, though, from Oliver Otis Howard. Surprise, shockingly. Shocker. Shockingly. But it's it goes back to what you just said about february march and april so this is what howard had to say in truth during february march and april the old cheerful hopeful trustful spirit which had carried us through so many dark days through so many bloody fields and trying to defeats returned to the army of the potomac and hooker's success as a division and corps commander was constantly in mind as an earnest of a grand future well said that's what howard had to say about him well howard has a very future working for hallmark mary (laughs) he does he certainly does. He certainly he's does. actually a very amazing writer. I love oh, reading his a, memoirs. He's amazing at everything. Just the greatest. <laughs> you know, aside from the juggling, but the rest of it, you know what's perfect. Hey, maybe he could juggle. You don't know. I guess we can try to joke there somewhere. <laughs> you know. But I think as we go move forward to this, um, we'll, we'll talk more about Hooker. We'll get the chances of the ones we get a little bit of the string. Next yeah. week, Mary, we are going to talk we're going to have Carolina on our mind, right? Yep. Yeah, we're we going to be talking the about theater for the Carolinas campaign and William Tecumseh Sherman again. Oh, Blingy's Uncle, going Uncle to the Tar Blingy. Heel States. He's going, Uncle he's going, he's going to be talking about that. So we're going to pick up on that again. So some coming attractions, like we always talk about. So we have obviously our live this coming weekend. We'll talk about that. The book club continues. So send us your donation for the American Battlefield Trust. Be entered into one of three autographed books that we have on our website. You can check out our website at, at civilwarbreakfastclub.com. There's a forum on there. You can talk, you can run your mouth, do whatever you want. Just, <laughs> just be, be nice. Don't piss Mary off. And I think um, we'll have our, uh, as this drops on Saturday, we'll be a couple of days away from our third round table or fourth? No, our fourth. Our, our fourth. Our fourth round table on January the 20th. So like I said at the beginning, um, if you've been part of our roundtable in the past, don't worry, I will be sending you the Zoom invite out soon. If you've never been part of our roundtable before, send us an email at info at civilwarbreakfastclub.com and I will be sure to send you the, uh, the Zoom info for that. Um, basically, it's, we're not going to have a speaker. We never have. I don't know if we ever will, but, and we don't really have a topic this time. Um, we just kind of just get around get together um it starts at six o'clock and scheduled to go till seven but you know what we'll probably go a little bit later like we did the last time it's gonna end ish so make yeah. sure be sure mary to join us on that nice. yeah and core right there a little, a little love for you love and core thank you 
appreciate it. <laughs> um, and yeah, we have our um, book club coming up as well. Um, the meeting is yet to be determined at the end of March, and that will be for Black Iron Mercy. And as Darren said, we have our fundraiser going on right now for um, Battlefield. So how that works, um, every $5 you donate, you get entered into a raffle to win three of the books that are in our book club. So all you need to do is just send your receipt that you did that to info at civilwarbreakfastclub.com and we will put you into our raffle. Excellent. Excellent. So I think that's a great place to jump off. Mary, mm -hmm. I think we can get ready for our next one as we jump in the, um, jump in the car and head over to Carolina and get yeah. ready for uh, old uncle blingy hitting those barbecue places up there in South Carolina. He'll be, yep. I'll bet you he brings enough wood to get that barbecue going. I bet you he gets that fire going good in those <laughs> barbecue from the railways. <laughs> we'll talk, we will talk about that. So anyway, so always a pleasure, Mary. Great talk. Great talk about old, um, about Ambrose Burnside. And we will um, look forward to going to Carolina, as I said, next week. So yep. any final words from you, the goddess of Goderich? <laughs> Not at all. Um, thank you to all of our listeners though, for all your, support you've shown us in these near six months and thank you especially to you darren for doing this with me every week for nearly the last six months you are truly the most intelligent person i know in the civil war wow isn't you praise from caesar right there well, I appreciate <laughs> you it. are not so, not, so, not so bad yourself i've told you many many times so we will um We'll always continue to push each other and make a yep. good and fun experience for everyone we'll do our best you know, potty mouth notwithstanding. We will do our best. All right. Well, off we go. We will talk to you soon. We will catch up with you down the road. So, to everyone, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And we will look forward to talking to you, as they say, on the other side. See you guys. Put a bow on this yep. one, Mayor. Yep. Bye. Peace out. <laughs>